This is More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. 6.50 is the time coming up in the news at 7. Trouble on City Council. City's lawyer, perhaps not surprisingly, says that we're not in a particularly favorable position when it comes to that new policy about hire cars. Plus, Canada shifting its posture vis-a-vis Israel versus Hamas, and now saying that it's time to start looking at some sort of a ceasefire. For some people, that is particularly incendiary, but Canada actually voted with 152 other countries and in consultation with several others, for example, New Zealand and Australia. Our ambassador, though, had to do some stick handling yesterday at the UN. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. I thank the distinguished representative of Canada. I now give a floor to distinguished representative of Iceland. See how that flies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, we've got a line in to the ambassador this morning, and we're hoping he'll join us on the show. And obviously, we'll talk about all the very seriousness of that resolution. But I'm sure Bob Ray also wants to explain being caught on a microphone, basically saying, it reminds me of comedian Mark Maron, who always says, well, let's see how that goes. It's time for a White Coat Wednesday. Our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Shulman, is here. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning. So I shouldn't start off by saying, let's see how this goes, right? (laughs) Believe me, I never want to hear that from a doctor. But I do remember we had a consultant here on the radio station who once said, here's something that'll work, unless it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) That builds confidence, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So apparently there's been some progress on sickle cell anemia. Tell me about that. This is incredible. So there's two... Forms of therapy that the FDA has approved, not yet approved necessarily in Health Canada, but it can only be a matter of time. The first uses technology that we call CRISPR, and this is a way of manipulating the genetic code. And what this technology does is you take a blood sample from the person, actually a bone marrow sample, you take their stem cells, the stem, the cells that go on to make their red blood cells, and you basically put it in this special CRISPR technology and take away the bad gene that causes sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia happens because there's a deformed form of hemoglobin that when the oxygen concentration drops, it forms a sickle. And instead of being a nice, plump, round red blood cell that kind of can bounce all throughout your body, these sickles get stuck and they cause blockage in blood supply and therefore pain and all sorts of complications and problems. Well, the CRISPR technology enables you to stop that gene and replace it with a baby hemoglobin that we all have that just gets turned off normally and it turns it back on, thereby enabling these people to get through their lives without these crises, these painful, uh, potentially dangerous, potentially lethal crises. So huge leap forward in technology. At the same time, the FDA also approved a different form of technology where they use a virus to insert the proper genetic information into um, the person's genes to replace or supplant the defective gene that makes the defective form of hemoglobin. The problem with that technology is there have been some associated uh, leukemias as a result of it. So there have been about two or three deaths in the original trials with that form of technology. So which technology you choose, that'll be up to you and your doctor to decide in the States, hopefully soon in Canada. And this is not simple. This is really expensive. The first technology costs 2.2 million US per patient. It's a one thing for the rest of your life, but that's still a lot of money. The other is 3.1 million US. And the other 
thing to realize is to be able to do this after they've harvested your stem cells and manipulated them for you these modified super new great stem cells to take over they've got to wipe out all the stem cells in your body so these people undergo very very intensive chemotherapy are obviously at risk during that period of time during the chemotherapy for all the side effects and everything that happens then they re-implant the new stem cells the modified stem cells which hopefully then take place take over and replace your your damage uh, hemoglobin uh, cells but as you can see this is not simple this is not high pop a pill and you're feeling better the next day but certainly a dramatic opportunity for people suffering with sickle cell disease absolutely okay so a new study finds a link between commuting and poor mental health kill surprise Really? <laughs> I needed a study to tell me this? So this is the Journal of Transport and Health, and they have ongoing studies of the po working population in South Korea. And one of the things they did back pre-COVID was to ask these commuters um, if you commuted more than an hour, how long you commuted, the whole bit. And then they asked them, there's a World Health Organization five-point scale to determine if someone's depressed or not. And gee, lo and behold, if you commuted an hour or more, you were more likely to be depressed. Really? <laughs> um, now, they can't prove that the commute caused the depression. Don't forget the people that are commuting long distances, there may be other factors at work here. But certainly they found it in women with children, uh, especially, and in men who are unmarried or had no kids. Um, and obviously these groups were at increased risk for depression to start off with. Korea, by the way, South Korea has one of the highest rates of depression in the OCED, the Organization of, um, of Economically Advanced Countries in the World. Um, so that may be tipping it a bit, but you and I both know how happy can you be when you're sitting in a car commuting? Um, maybe this means we should be doing something to help people during their commute. Uh, audiobooks, uh, phone calls to your family or friends. News Talk 1010. Uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or, or listening to us, happy people. Or, or bike instead, listening to us. I guess that's not safe. Or walk. Uh, but certainly there are things we need to look into with this. Okay. Chronic fatigue syndrome. Apparently it's more common than we thought. Yeah. And the problem with this is we don't have a marker for it. So chronic fatigue syndrome peaked around 40 years ago or was first recognized around 40 years ago with outbreaks in a community in Nevada and one in, in New York State. And since then, we've been trying to figure out what causes it. These are people who, even if they get a good night's sleep, wake up exhausted, feel like they have no energy left, just, just can't get through the day, can't even get through the normal activities. And it only gets worse, not better. And you rule out things like problems with the thyroid, problems with their blood pressure and you don't find a cause so for many years these people were ignored and they were viewed as hypochondriacs to the point where they changed the name of the disease huh they now call it myalgic encephalomyelitis oh, that's to better. try and remove some of this well they try and remove some of the stigma from calling someone chronic fatigue syndrome so they still don't know what it is they're still having a real tough time and in the states the centers for disease control and prevention put out a survey of over 57,000 people and asked them if they'd been given those diagnoses cfs or chronic myel um, um, encephalomyelitis and they found that 1.3 percent of the people responded yes that works out to be about 3.5 million americans and there's probably a proportionate number here in canada 
So it's really out there. It's something we're going to have to figure out what to do with. And as we have more and more people coming down and suffering from long COVID, which is very similar, I think there's going to be a huge impetus to try and figure out what's going on. And maybe we can help these people better. One more story, and I was uh, going through this study yesterday, but I wanted your medical opinion on it. I did not know. I did not. I had never heard this wisdom that if you had something jammed in your windpipe, uh, some food, <laughs> that you should drink Coke and that would fix your wagon. But they actually did a scientific study or a, a, a clinical trial. God bless the BMJ. They always have a special <laughs> issue over Christmas where they put things like this in it. Uh, you know, is it safer to use a parachute or not? Uh, should you be using a Coca-Cola or any caffeinated, not caffeinated, uh, carbonated uh, beverage to try and relieve blockage? So we see a lot more people with food getting impacted over the holidays. Duh. And this has to do with a bunch of factors, a little bit of alcohol, maybe not chewing as much, maybe being busy talking and doing things while you're eating rather than actually focusing on chewing enough so that it doesn't get stuck it's usually meat and it usually gets stuck at least part of the way down the esophagus the food pipe between the mouth and the stomach and one of the thinkings was if you take small sips of a carbonated beverage the gas would help relax the esophagus open it up and allow the food bolus to pass well they actually did the study and it doesn't make a difference 61 percent healed on their own 61 percent healed with in this case, they actually used Coca-Cola. I don't know if the company paid them to do this. Um, but so if you want to try it, you can. Small sips, you don't want to overwhelm yourself. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But if it doesn't, you need people like me to do the proper thing. Um, we call in uh, the specialists, the gastroenterologist, and with a the camera, they go down and they try and either push it through or pull it out. Uh, not a very pleasant procedure from what I've heard. Not fun, but it beats having something stuck there. <laughs> I guess so. Thank you, Dr. Mitch. Good to have you. A, a pleasure. Have a great day. The always affable Dr. Mitch Showman. Coming up in the next half hour, Mike Moffat, the economist, is going to join us to talk about the Fed's new housing strategy. And it's pretty aggressive stuff. I have no idea whether Mike Moffat has weighed in on this yet or not and whether or not he supports it, so he'll tell us. Plus, MP Yvonne Baker on a bunch of files, including how the Conservatives have voted once against, once again, against the Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement. And as you know, Yvonne Baker is of Ukrainian heritage, so it probably flies up his face. It's seven o'clock.